I'm Shan Storland, and welcome to the Korea Blog Podcast, brought to you by KoreaFM.net, an online radio station featuring a 24-7 stream of independent musicians and original podcast content from the Korean Peninsula. This is, of course, a new podcast, and I'll be joined each episode by Colin Marshall, a Seoul-based essayist, broadcaster, and public speaker who writes each week on the literature, cinema, current events, and daily life here in South Korea for the Los Angeles Review of Books Korea Blog. So, Colin, as this is our first episode together, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, talk about how you recently made the move here to the ROK. And also, this isn't uh, the first time we've done a podcast. Yeah, I moved here just about three months ago, but I came here before last year, last summer, when I was here recording a series of interviews for uh, Notebook on Cities and Culture. It's a show I was doing at that time, a podcast I was doing, an interview show. And uh, yeah, we talked on that show somewhere in June or July 2014, right? That was when that was? Yeah, it was over the summer. I remember the weather was nice. (laughs) The weather was quite nice. We recorded it outside. But I recorded, yeah, about 40 interviews around Korea, mostly in Seoul and Busan. And that was actually the last season I did of that show. And so now I'm here and I'll be sort of launching various projects of which the Korea blog is one. And so how do you describe this LA Review of Books Korea blog and how did the project get started? It's kind of in its infancy, but you still have uh, quite a lot of posts you've put up. Yeah, I do about three a week, depending upon how quickly, how quickly they put them up. Sometimes they take a little longer in editing than I expect, but the goal is three times a week. It probably works out to more like, on average, two point something times a week. But I, I pitched it to the Los Angeles Review of Books, for whom I had done podcast interviews for a long time before, and for whom I had written uh, just Days before I moved out, I know the editor there. He's actually the one who brought me on to do interviews for them. And uh, I just went in to record for their radio show. They do a radio show in Los Angeles um, to record some segments going over my, I guess, greatest hits, if you will, for their podcast, the interviews I did for them. And I just pitched it to him, to uh, Tom Lutz, who founded the magazine. Uh, Then and there, we were just standing around beforehand. And I said, you know, you've got a China blog on the LARB. So how about, <laughs> how about a Korea blog? And one angle I took was to say, Los Angeles is the most Korean city, as in it has the most Korean people outside Korea. So, you know, it's, if you have a China blog, you got to have a Korea blog, right? If there is going to be a Korea blog, LA is the place for it to be. Absolutely. I think so. I mean, you lived in Koreatown too, right? At one point? Uh, like I, I, lived, I lived in Burbank, actually. I was finishing oh, okay. up uh, school, went to Emerson College in Boston. But like right. many schools, they have um, a campus, you know, quote unquote campus. We actually, after I graduated, they've built a real campus. I'm a little jealous, but I was out <laughs> there for six months, um, did some work in TV and radio. And a friend of mine, actually, this is probably what you're remembering, um, lived right on the corner of Koreatown. And uh. while I was there, um, visiting him, you know, from time to time when I was free, I would always stop by and get some lunch there before I rolled over to his place. And then we would just play Xbox or something. <laughs> We're good old Iowa friends. So that's what we did growing up. And uh, yeah, it was it was amazing going to Koreatown. It's a little different than what you'll get here in Seoul or other parts of the peninsula, but it's it definitely has that Korean flavor to it. And I was so happy to be there. They even have a Paris baguette. They have that. They have uh, Tom and Toms. They have a uh, they have Cafe Bene. A few of those. They have a fair few Korean chains. And everybody's everybody I talk to here who's never been to Los Angeles is surprised at that. They can't believe how many Korean businesses, especially cafes, have made their way over to Los Angeles. Well, you're a pro, uh, Colin. That's exactly what we're talking about. Great segue. 
One of the first topics you wrote about for the LA Review of Books Korea blog was on coffee. You mentioned Tom and Tom's Cafe Benet. These are some Korean brands. So um, before we talk about this article that you wrote, why was this such an important subject to kind of put out at the very beginning for your new blog? I mean, was it just the fact that coffee is king here? As you mentioned in Koreatown, there are coffee shops from Korea. Yeah, there certainly are. I mean, it, the, the, one I, the anecdote I pointed to in that post was I was meeting up with a Korean speaking partner in Los Angeles every week. And for the first few months, we met every week at the same Tom and Toms in Los Angeles in Koreatown on uh, the corner of Wilshire and Western. So a big intersection, a major subway station is there. So it, does, it has a bit of the Korean feel in, in kind of urbanistic ways as well. But we met there every week and we were talking about what kind of cafes there were in Korea because to that point I'd never been to Korea. And I asked her, and she was from Seoul, I asked her what it was like, what were the, what were the cafes like in Korea? Is Tom and Tom's the same? Are there other ones as well? And she was saying it's beyond imagination just how many there are, how many cafes there are, not just how many Tom and Tom's, though there are a lot of Tom and Tom's, but how much variety there is and how, ma how many how much business they all seem to attract. And when I got to Korea, it really, it really was true. It's, it's the dominant type of business that at least struck me at first. You might be on, if you're on a major road, you might see several of, well, you're going to see several coffee shops for sure. But You'll see a coffee shop on the first floor with a coffee shop on the second floor. Yes, yes. And then, I, I don't know if I've ever seen three coffee shops stacked up, but you'll see two coffee shops and one of them is probably multiple stories. Yeah, well, they're definitely going to be multiple stories if they're a major chain, like a, a, you know, a Starbucks and a coffee bean, they're going to be multiple stories. But you're also going to get the Tom and Tom's and the Cafe Bene and the Guru Naru that are multiple stories or the Hollies with three or four floors. But in there are also independents and, you know, every scale of coffee shop there is, you can find represented in every single neighborhood, of course, but almost in every part of every neighborhood, as long as it's a pretty commercial area. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons I really enjoyed reading this specific post was because um, you kind of point to the things that I noticed when I first came to Korea. And when I have friends, specifically in the last year, I've had a few college friends who have made their way to South Korea, and I've kind of shown them around. And I, it's really fun to kind of reminisce as, as I'm sure they're discovering the things that I first discovered when I came here that made me fall in love with Korea. And right. one of those things was the Americano. Um, <laughs> yes. You, you opened up your piece describing how many Korean people order Americanos. But like I said, before I came to Korea, you know, as an American myself, it was odd to me that people were ordering Americanos instead of just coffee, as I would order back home. Um, but now as I go to coffee shops with my girlfriend um, to study quite often in the last six months, this is what we order. So why is the Americano so ubiquitous here in Seoul and, of course, the rest of the country? Yeah, it's really, it's really the standard drink, isn't it? It's the standard order. And I asked that of the same lady who said that the coffee shops were beyond imagination in Seoul. I noticed she got an Americano every time. And I think around that same time, I asked why her order never varied. Because I would, I would just order a regular coffee every week or a cappuccino, but I never really did get into the Americano until I noticed her and other Korean friends getting them. And she said the reason you want to order the Americano is in Korea, if you don't get an Americano, at least maybe this was true before, it probably has changed. But if you just order a coffee, just straight up ask for a coffee, 
you might get something made of a powder. You might get a mixture. It's going to be it's, it's sort of Nescafe country here in Korea, but it's not usually actually Nescafe. It's Maxim or French Cafe or one of the homegrown brands of instant coffee. In any case, there's a whole culture of instant coffee. And I mean, I buy it myself out of the machines in the subway station. That's the only context in which I like it. But the older generations still are really into it. They, they grew up with the instant stuff. And it's, it's kept its hold on the culture, though I don't think you run a whole lot of danger of actually getting it if you're in a coffee shop that at least reasonably, that's at least reasonably hip. Yeah, the only time that I get instant coffee um, regularly would not be at a coffee shop, as you just mentioned, but um, at restaurants. Um, yes, actually, yes. because of the Solal holiday, I went traveling with uh, my girlfriend who's Korean, her family. She's from a very rural part of the country down south near the bottom of the peninsula. And we went to some really nice restaurants, um, some more expensive than others, but, you know, kind of older school um, restaurants because, you know, that's the type of thing her parents enjoy. And of course, I was happy to go with them. I love Korean food. Um, but everywhere we went, they would have these square, like kind of the size of a small mini fridge um, coffee dispenser that would have a little tiny cup. And um, you press the button and it would just have some instant coffee. Um, <laughs> and so as you mentioned, your friend, she said you have to order the Americano because maybe more in the past. If you didn't, you'd get the kind of watered-down instant coffee that I was getting at these restaurants. In your piece, you talk about that has a name. That's Dabang Kopi. Yes, good old Dabang Kopi. Yeah, which is popular with the older Koreans, probably, you know, um, the parents of my girlfriend. So what is this Dabang Kopi? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing I'd want to do is explain what a Dabang is, which is a cafe. It was sort of the first wave of coffee shops in Korea. They were called Dabang. And you can still actually find a few dabang here and there. There's one that's been, it's been updated in in a coffee sense, but not in a decor sense. It's called the uh, Hakrim Dabang. It's near the Hiehua station, and it's pretty famous. A lot of people have written about it, including uh, Charlie Usher, the Seoul suburban guy whom I interviewed on my old podcast when I was here before. I think his article introduced me to it. But you go in there, and it's very old, comfortable, soft furniture, kind of dark uh, walls of classical vinyl LPs, that sort of thing. So that's, in there, you know, there's a lot of old people there, but young people too. That's kind of the environment you expect in a dabang. But the coffee itself, the dabang kopi, which you can order uh, there and elsewhere, even some newer places, even some places in Los Angeles, I've ordered dabang kopi off the menu just out of curiosity. Uh, it's, yeah, it's the instant coffee. And usually it's mixed with a whole lot of sugar and <laughs> creamer, or they, they might all be together in one. You can get packets of like Maxim brand dabang kopi dabang kopi sort of sticks that have the sweetener and the creamer and the instant coffee all together. And that's kind of the, the trifecta that gives you a dabang kopi. And they seem to have these a lot in offices. I, I do freelance um, radio reporting now here in Seoul, and uh, I've been doing that for about the last year. But I was, um, you know, Monday through Friday uh, in the office, like nine to, well, probably past five. But, you know, that type of situation for about six months previous to that at a radio broadcaster here in Seoul. And um, they had coffee like that, the little sticks. And you'll see that um, at a university. You'll see that in an office. People will have them in their home. I just, to my left here, we have, um, actually, what is that? Nest Cafe, Supremo, yeah. So that's something that I see here in South Korea all the time, where back yeah. home, people might have like a can that you spoon out, you know, spoon <laughs> by spoon, or someone would have like a coffee maker. But that really is uh, probably alongside the Americano, the ubiquitous coffee here in South Korea. It still kind of is in, in a lot of ways it is, in a lot of different contexts it is, not all of them, but 
Yeah, there's some countries where this thing, this kind of thing is held on. Mexico is the same way. I would get Americanos there because if you didn't, you'd probably be getting some kind of Nescafe there. But it's funny because you'd think any real coffee lover would think that this is a sign of an unsophisticated coffee culture. The fact that instant coffee and especially so highly sweetened instant coffee is so widespread, yet it coexists with uh, better coffee than I've had in most of the world, to be frank. So you get these, you have the options, you have the sort of high grade options, you have the low grade options, and they all coexist kind of like the international chains, the national chains, the indies, the themed cafes, uh, the old dabang, everything still coexists together in Korea. So for a small country, it's an impressive kind of variety in the coffee itself and in the businesses that serve it. Speaking of that, you mentioned how the dabang coffee shops were like the first wave here in South Korea. In your piece, you outlined three different waves, correct? Yeah, that's that comes from an expression. I mean, when people hear of these waves of coffee, these are defined things, defined movements, but people usually hear about third wave because that's supposed to be the wave we're on. So a real coffee enthusiast could tell you more about this. But, you know, when you go to one of these fancy shops in Korea or America or wherever, where you have the highly trained baristas, where you know where all the beans are coming from. You have the, the, the siphons and the fancy filters and the high-tech gear brought in from Japan, probably. In, and usually the decor is pretty well thought out in these uh, third wave spaces as well. You know, that's the wave we're dealing with at the moment. And when in America people talk about second wave, the previous wave, they mean the sort of Pete's, the Starbucks, the coffee bean, those giant chains which got their, some of them got their start as early as the 1960s, like Pete's. Uh, that was, I believe, the first. Starbucks really blew up, as we all know, in the 90s. Um, and it got to Korea, I believe, in 2001 or so. And that's that's second wave. That's when espresso drinks, for example, got popularized. Um, before that, the first wave in America, anyway, was uh, when coffee just became something people drank. And that I mean, you could probably peg the, the explosion of the first wave around the time that Folgers Crystals, you know, America's beloved instant coffee, uh, the best part of waking up, so I'm told. Wow, really, really, really <laughs> yeah, hit. I remember that ad from when I was a child. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the first wave of coffee in America, that was like the late... Uh, late 19th century through to the Second World War, it was a long wave. So the waves are getting shorter. I don't know what fourth wave is going to be, but, you know, they're getting better each time. So I look forward to it. I, yeah, I don't know what that would be either, because I feel like Korea's kind of already jumped the shark when it comes to coffee. <laughs> but I was in HBC, which is a, an area west of Itaewon. It's um, very popular with foreigners, but a lot of um, uh, American, you know, Canadian, European, English-speaking foreigners, they, they also tend to live there because it's cheap. And it's had this huge explosion of, of um, coffee shops and uh, Western food restaurants and just everything there is hip. And it's now kind of gentrifying itself. But I have a good friend who served in the Peace Corps with me who I kind of told to come to Korea after he finished. And mm. um, we've played some music together, so we always hang out. I had there what was a cold-brewed coffee and... I think this is correct. Somehow the brewing process involves nitrous oxide. It's a very different taste and it's very smooth. Yeah, I've had that. It's uh, there's, I believe, a, a form of it that just goes by nitro coffee. Yeah, Stumptown, that was it. That was it. Stumptown coffee roasters in America, out of Portland, which just got to Los Angeles as I moved away, uh, is is a is a carrier of that. I had it before I left America. It was good. I think psychologically, you're primed. You see this, you see this glass of dark cool liquid and you you see it 
look bubbly and you expect it's going to be a stout that's going to be a beer mm -hmm. so you're not ready for what you taste but when you acclimate yourself to it or when i did i mean it was good i there there's going to be some hot days this summer where i hope to get it i think yeah it was really refreshing but uh the price was not so good it was like, oh what do they charge for one of those i think i paid like six bucks for just a normal sized you know what would have been three or four dollars for an americano at a at a Starbucks or something like that. It was not cheap, but it was good. You know, you only live once. So you might as well try. I mean, the one, so it was a six, seven thousand one, something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, I think it was like six or seven thousand one. And I believe that was last year. So who knows where it is now? You know, sometimes the prices rise here in South Korea. They do. And they fluctuate between businesses pretty widely. I mean, an Americano might be, you could go down to 1500 won if you're really going bargain basement. An, an Americano could also also be about 6,001 depending on where you're going so you can pay whatever you want to almost yeah there's uh there's these discount chains that are sort of uh, popping up where some of them are just a storefront and you have to get it to go where other yeah. ones even have like multiple stories and the coffee is still a dollar fifty and I, I think they're just hoping that you'll buy some some bread or some muffins <laughs> or some more expensive coffee the the cheap ones are where I like to go with my girlfriend. I guess I'm yes. showing how cheap I am. Um, but you've mentioned Starbucks uh, a couple times. Uh, if if not just here recently, you mentioned the first Starbucks was sometime um, around 2001. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's what I heard in in uh, Korea. I believe. Don't quote me on the year exactly, but I think it was 2001. Um, the first Starbucks. I know where it was. It was. Yeah, at Ihua Women's University, which is right next to where I live, actually. And they, uh, yeah, I think it, it opened up maybe across the street or inside something near the sort of central gorge that university has. That's sort of the building built into the ground. That's where the first Starbucks was. And when I talk to foreigners who've lived here a long time, they they really do remember that as an event. You know, it was a change in the coffee culture in Korea, but Starbucks was a change in the coffee culture everywhere. It was certainly a change in America. I mean, uh, you can think of it in terms of before Starbucks and after Starbucks. There's, there's two eras, and uh, no country is quite the same in the after Starbucks era. I believe, if not another location, I've been to that Starbucks, or at least a Starbucks, at the Iwo Women's University. That's actually where my girlfriend is finishing up her master's. She's working on her thesis right now. So mm. I spent plenty of hours uh, upstairs. It's a multiple story you know, yes. uh, coffee shop, just like you'll see many places here in Seoul and the rest of the peninsula. Um, you know, doing some audio editing or actually grabbing some people on the street for some interviews. Uh, man on the street reporting that I've done a lot in the past. And uh, yeah, I can imagine that being quite an event because now the way EWA works, it's kind of like tourists go there anyways just to check out uh, the campus, let alone if it was the first Starbucks that opened here in Korea. But that, of course, was not the last Starbucks to open here. And so now no. Korea, I believe, is the number one. How do, how do they measure it? Is it the amount of Starbucks per people, per capita? I think Seoul is now the city with the most Starbucks locations anywhere. So if you just compare city to city, Seoul has the sheer highest number of Starbuckses, if that's the plural. But uh, I mean, it's that really doesn't even tell you that much because there's more branches of Cafe Bene. There's there's more, you know, the homegrown one naturally of you've been in Korea a while, you know that they're not going to let a foreign company have more branches. So I'm sure Cafe Bene just opened up more so they could say the Korean company had more locations than Starbucks, right? That's actually a really good point to bring up that they wouldn't want the the foreign company to have that kind of title. Because unfortunately here in Korea, 
Um, this is something I've reported on a couple different times in, in different um, areas, you know, be it tech or something else, where the Korean businesses really do like to kind of stay number one. And, and the government has done, you know, depending on how you want to frame it, a good or a bad job, you know, um, increasing business here, uh, you know, protecting South Korean businesses versus bringing in the foreign dollars. But um, yeah, I would say that even though there are a lot of Starbucks, there are easily more Korean coffee companies, especially once you get into the the bigger names like Tom and Tom's Cafe Bene, uh, Holly's right. I see a lot all over the place now, especially where I used to live in Hongdae. Right. I mean, in the independent shops, I think outnumber even the chains. It's hard to count and keep track of the indies, but there are so many. And it actually gets at something that's a real, it's a real point of fascination for me in the way that cities work uh, in back in America, where I'm from versus here or anywhere in East Asia, for that matter, at least Northeast Asia. In in America, even in a big city like Los Angeles, people tend to think that when a Starbucks comes or when some other big chains come, just to use the example of coffee shops, when a Starbucks comes, there go the cool places, there go the indie places. They can't coexist. Starbucks is going to squash the smaller ones. Which, whether it happens in America or not, really, I'm not so I'm not sure, but. Here, that doesn't happen at all. I mean, they're cheek by jowl. As I've said before, all kinds of, all scales of chains, plus all sizes of indies, you know, they're right next to each other. One didn't squash the other. They sort of, they've formed their own ecosystem. And it's, it, it goes to a, I mean, that happens in a lot of ways that Americans think about cities. It's sort of like, we can have the big thing, or we can have the cool thing. We can't have both. Yeah. And here, here they, they, they usually have both, whatever kind of thing it is. They have both, plus like three other options. <laughs> yes. If you're going to study like I do with my girlfriend, um, we'll often go to a Starbucks just because um, they seem to have the, the like the best sit down and like large tables and you can always plug in your laptop. But if we're going to meet some friends, we would probably go somewhere else other than Starbucks. It's, you know, the, the time of the day, the situation yeah. that you want to have. Um, but it's really interesting that you brought up, at least in the American context, the idea that you can only have one versus the other. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Iowa, born and raised, you know, small town. And I hear this a lot with things like Walmart, where people talk mm. about Walmart comes in, you know, shuts down all the mom and pop stores. I'm sure there are places where that has happened, just like there have been places where Starbucks has come in and shut down um, some local coffee shops. I think this was even a storyline in, in uh, South Park, like mm. Starbucks or another big coffee chain came in and tweaked the kid who's always drinking all the coffee. His dad had to shut down his store or something. But in some places in the Midwest and where I'm from in Iowa, specifically in, outside of the Des Moines area, there really wasn't anything before some of these big stores moved in. And so um, I think just like there where you can have a big Walmart or a Target that can exist next to some other shops or move into an area where there was nothing beforehand. Absolutely right. What you just said about Seoul, you have the, the Starbucks, you have the Cafe Bene, the Tom and Toms. You also have the local places that kind of look like someone ran in there with a hammer, like there's like a <laughs> hole in the wall. Um, and then also you have the places where you came and sit down and it's just a dollar fifty, and it's very cheap. And from, you know, my opinion, good enough to still buy. You know, I, I'm no connoisseur of uh, coffee. Um, despite the fact that you mentioned already that you've had some of the best coffee, I think, that you've ever had, you said, here in Seoul. It certainly beats a lot of places. I mean, a lot of countries that are known for their sophistication, they might not be as, their coffee itself might not be uh, quite up to expectations. But it, it's it's true what you're saying. Yeah, you, there's so many kinds of coffee shops here that each each one suits a different 
situation you might have in your life. Today, I just discovered a new uh, coffee shop. A friend took me to it over by the Jonggak station, which it seems very optimized for studying. You know, there's books everywhere. There's a computer you can print things out on. Oh wow, uh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's, I believe it's called. It's it's got a strange English name, Calcom, C A L C O M M, but it's been around since the '90s, if you can believe that. <laughs> and uh, nothing's been around since the '90s in Seoul. It seems yeah, like. Yeah, you, but... you you oh my gosh, you go to something that's like really nice and really popular, and if if you look on the menu or something, it'll say founded 2014, 2015. Right, Everything right. changes on a dime. It certainly does, and it's. I, I do find here that I can really. I did this in Los Angeles too, but here more than anything. I can take into mind several different factors of what I want in my coffee shop that day, and one will match it perfectly. I mean, there's a, a Singapore toast cafe that I use as my regular sort of working on writing or whatever coffee shop uh, right by Iwa University, as I say, where I live. But, you know, there's a cafe I like to go to uh, near Seoul Station where I'll be starting a meetup soon of foreign Korean speakers. Or there's another one. There's in Hongdae, as you mentioned, a neighborhood you once lived in. There's several that I go to, but for different reasons. You know, whether I might want beer as my second drink. You know, uh, there's a, one I like, one I go to for that, or whether I want a a, one, a, Via, a Viennese type of coffee. You know, there's one that specializes in that. Or if I know I want to stay for more than five hours, there's some that you know don't care if I do that. None of them really care that much about that. But they they're very like any ecosystem. Like any rich ecosystem, each sort of there's a lot of different species, each of which is highly specialized. Specialized, if that makes sense. And I think uh, one reason that they can be so specialized, why you can have so many options, is because at least compared to what my life was like when I lived in Iowa, or when I went to school in Boston, or where I lived in uh, Los Angeles and New York for a short amount of time before leaving the country and coming here to Korea, um, coffee shops have a little different purpose here than they do. In those situations, at least once again, you know, in my experience, when I lived in Hongdae for about a year and a half, I lived in a Goshiwan, which is basically mm. a janitor's closet apartment. I mean, that is Spartan living. Oh, yeah, it was it was nice. It was cheap. Um, right side of my room was my bed. Left side of the room was my desk. And, you know, when I opened the door, I hit my chair to my desk. Um, <laughs> and so to not go crazy, you know, to make sure that I would live through that experience. I spent a lot of time in coffee shops. I mean, and when I mean a lot of time, I mean a lot of time. I slept in my Goshiwan. I, I tried not to live there for obvious reasons. Um, and I've actually done a report on this for a broadcaster here in the city. Um, there was some report that came out in like the last year, year and a half. This might have been some while ago. Something like some absurd amounts of uh, some ridiculously high percentage of Koreans admitted in a survey that they just go to coffee shops without buying anything. <laughs> um, and I did some street interviews, man on the street interviews. Like, what do you think about this? And it was really funny because I was like, well, screw Koreans. I mean, this is me. This is my life. I mean, I would buy a coffee every once in a while, but I would be there for so long. I wasn't buying something every couple of hours. So yeah. I want to tie this in with the quality and the price of coffee. Um, you've already made the case that you've found excellent quality and excellent variety here in Seoul, but we've kind of already mentioned as well, the price is often not that good. But when I did this report, the, the kind of end result, you know, the general feeling that I was trying to convey was just that, yes, it's expensive, but you get a lot for buying that $5 cup of coffee, $6 cup of coffee. You can stay at the coffee shop for like eight hours. And they're often very comfortable to stay at. I mean, sure, I've never, I don't think I've ever gone to a coffee shop 
specifically just because I needed. Well, you know, it's happened, but I've never sat in a coffee shop because I just needed a cup of coffee. I always have something else I need to do, or I have some extra time that I can use working on something, or reading, or studying. You know, studying of the Korean language absorbs a lot of time, as you know. So the coffee shops help provide a variety of environments for that. I mean, you don't want to, you don't really want to stay at home and do these things. I didn't want to stay at home and do these things in America when there were lots of places I could go, but here there are even more, and it's it ties in with something else I wrote about on the Korea blog, which was the sort of verticality of Seoul, which sounds. Like kind of a simple point to make because you look at any major city and they're covered in high rises, but Seoul to a greater extent than most in in if you compare to America, of course. But it's uh, the, the three dimensionality of the city means you know you're often working with a, a smaller space that you're living in. But the the nice part of it is that there's a lot of other not very large spaces you can make use of to live the other parts of your life in, all scattered across the city. And one thing that I I, I exactly agree with you. I think Seoul does. The, the high rises a little differently than other places. But one thing I've mentioned, uh, I've noticed here is that I think they're very efficient at it. So if you live in an apartment building, you know, um, second or third floor up to wherever is going to be apartments or it's going to be office tell, but the first floor is going to be convenience stores, maybe a yeah. restaurant, um, who knows what else. And then if you go into the basement, there's going to be like a stationary store. There's going to be a PC bong, um, yes, you know, a, yes. a computer lab. There's going to be a nore bong or or a multi bong where you can watch DVDs or play video games or something like that. So yeah, really, really excellent point to make with the verticality of the city. Um, Colin, it's been great talking with you, but uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here for the first episode of KoreaFM.net's new podcast, The Korea Blog, hosted by myself, Chance Dorland, and of course, Colin Marshall, a soul-based essayist, broadcaster, and public speaker who, of course, writes each week on literature, cinema, and current events, as well as daily life here in South Korea for the Los Angeles Review of Books. And uh, his blog, very good name, is called The Korea Blog. So, Colin, great to speak with you, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Looking forward to it. Thank you.